amen. Please remain standing if you would. Susan Potter is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. It comes out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, just one, one verse this morning. And if you, so if you would like to follow along in your own Bibles or there on a phone app or however, however best you want to follow along, you're invited to come, you're invited to do so. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, or Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Before I get to my uh, message, I, I do want to alert those of you who are online. We recognize that somehow our YouTube feed was lost this morning. And so we understand that we are now live streaming on Facebook. We believe that's the case. Uh, we have been having a number of internet issues downtown Oklahoma City uh, because of the ice storm and because of wind damage, uh, still down tree lines as well. And so our internet access has been very, very spotty here at the church. And so we apologize. We've been efforting all morning long to make sure that we uh, remedy that. We're not sure what went on. Uh, we tried to test this morning. Everything worked beautifully during the test. Isn't that how it goes? And so thank you uh, so much for being patient with us during, during, this, during this season. So the disciples came to Jesus with, with a request that was not particularly unreasonable. Two of his disciples came to him. And they, they said to him, now, Master, when you come into your kingdom, or in other words, what they were saying was, Master, when you become king, would you grant us this request? Because you've, you've said that you would, whatever we would request in your name, you, you, you will give us as your followers. So they said, this is the request. When you become king, when you become this earthly ruler that we know that you're, go that you're going to become, would you put one of us on your right hand and the other of us on your left hand? In, in essence, what they, what, they were, what they were asking for was, when you become king, would you make one of us your vice president and the other of us your, your chief of staff or your secretary of state? Would, would, would you put us in positions of authority and power when you come into your kingdom? They, they had, they, I mean, this was, a, this was a regular type of dream for, for every, for every blue-blooded Hebrew boy. That they would somehow be selected as, as someone that would serve on the kings, in the king's court. This was, this was, again, a, a dream of almost, of almost every Hebrew, of a coming king of, of Israel who would, who would set Israel free and establish Jerusalem as, its, as a rightful place in the center of their, not only of their political life, but also of their religious life. 
And, and, and certainly they were thinking of that kind of day when Jesus would reign supreme, when Jesus would come and reign upon an earthly throne. And again, and again, they had hoped that, that they had found the next king, and because they had been his faithful followers, oh, oh, they they wanted to be named first and second in command under under Jesus. When you become president, let one of us, surely, surely, let one of us be vice president and another of us be secretary of state. Noted 20th century psychologist Alfred Adler contended that this is the most dominant impulse of humans. This impulse to be in charge. This impulse to be out front and leading. Whereas his contemporary, Sigmund Freud, used to contend that that sex was our dominant impulse, Adler argued that it is this quest for recognition. It's desire for attention, this this longing for distinction that that is the basic impulse of all human beings. And Adler is known as as one of the great uh, thinkers in psychology. In fact, he's one of the three great fathers of of modern-day psychology. And again, his understanding was that this impulse uh, to be in charge, this impulse uh, to to be seen as someone who is uh, distinguished or or this, this impulse, this quest for recognition, that is the most basic human impulse of all of us. Put another way, put another way, I would say this. At the very heart of sin is selfishness. I think that's what Adler came to understand, and I think that's what we find played out time and time and time again in um, in the Bible and in our own in our own lives, when we begin early in life, this this desire to put ourselves first is immediately immediately shows up in our lives. Our first cry as a baby was a bid for attention. Children ask life to grant them the first place. They are a little bundle of ego, we might we might say. And they, they have innately what Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Dr. King, called the, the drum major instinct. Dr. King preached his last sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church, the, his home church, the church where he co-pastored with his father, and just two weeks before his assassination, he used this analogy of the drum major. Now, nothing wrong against drum majors, but he said that this drum major instinct is, is this instinct to be in charge, to be the one that gets the recognition, to be the one that leads the way, to be the one who is served rather than to be the one who is, who is doing the serving. Again, Dr. King spoke of this drum major instinct. Again, it, it's, you, know, you know that instinct. It's this innate desire to be praised, to be recognized, to be seen as a leader, and to be out front. Now, in adult life, it's not only in children that we see this kind of instinct. In adult life, we see it as well, don't we? 
We never really get over it. We, we like to do something good, and we like to be praised for it. We want to be recognized when we do something good. And somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or, or when our name is in print, it's like vitamin A to our egos. It boosts our egos. And what I found about is our, uh, our egos that need to be boosted, th- th- we can never feel that ego enough. We can never feel, feel it enough. And so we, we want more praise and more recognition and more power as well. The only unhappy people about praise is when they aren't getting enough praise, when they aren't getting enough praise, or when someone else is getting praise. That's the only people that are unhappy about praise. No one is unhappy when they are praised themselves. Everyone likes to be praised, again, because of this drum major instinct or what Adler talks about, this desire, this innate human desire to be recognized and to be in charge and to be out front. I got a letter uh, a few weeks ago. It was from a magazine that is getting ready to come out, and, and I opened it up, and the letter said this, Dear Reverend Broadbent, as you know, you are, in, you are on multiple mailing lists, and you are categorized as highly intelligent, open-minded, a lover of the arts and sciences, and I know that you will want to read what I have to say. Absolutely, I wanted to read what they had to say. Open-minded, highly intelligent, a lover of the science. Oh, absolutely, I wanted to read what they wanted to say, and I wanted to buy everything that they were peddling because, because they had given me recognition and praise. This desire, this drum major instinct, this desire to be the leader, to be, to be praised, to be served is so powerful, and it shows up in astounding ways. I found that it shows up in the way that we so often live beyond our means. Cars and homes and furnishings and credit cards and loans and second mortgages. I, I know a man who, um, who lived in his home for 35 years. He, he moved into it in 1977, and in 1977, he had that home built for $30,000. Just a few years ago, the bank foreclosed on that home, and he owed $220,000 on that home. He had bought it in 1970, or he had had it built in 1977 for $30,000, but he had mortgaged it so many times that when the bank foreclosed on it, he owed $220,000 on this home that he had paid $30,000 for. He's not, that's not out of the ordinary. That's not out of the ordinary. There's something about this drum major instinct. Do you ever see people buy cars that they can't even begin to buy in terms of their income? I, I, I can't tell you how many how many high school parking lots I've been in that are absolutely filled with teenagers driving forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar automobiles. Financial managers tell us that uh, their recommendation is that we don't spend any more than half of our annual income on an automobile, and I, I certainly can't imagine that teenagers are making eighty or ninety thousand dollars a year. They're not. 
Experts also tell us to, to, not spend, to not spend more than twice our annual household income on a home, but I've seen, I am seeing multi-million dollar home after multi-million dollar home go up all across, all across the metro area. And I can promise you there are not that many people making millions of dollars a year. We are living in homes that are too big. We are driving cars that are too nice. And we are wearing clothes with certain labels on them, not because they're better, not because we need those things, but instead we are motivated by this drum major instinct to be recognized, to be seen as someone who is a leader, to be served rather than to serve. But the real problem isn't our spending. And that's just a symptom of something far deeper. Again, it's that drum major instinct. And we can carry that instinct into the life of the church. Consumerism Christianity is what it's called. I ran across a survey a few years ago that showed over 35% of American Christians believe that the church exists in order to meet their needs. 35% of American Christians, when asked, say that the church exists to meet their personal needs. Now, they wouldn't put it in those terms. They wouldn't put it in those terms. Instead, we, we say it differently. We, we talk about our needs not being met. We talk about not enough children's ministries available. We talk about the wrong kinds of music. We talk about the quality of the sermon or the quality of the worship or the quality of the ministries. But it all points to this understanding that the church exists to meet our needs, not to reach the lost, not to mend the broken, not to bring sight to the blind, not to proclaim the kingdom of God, but to serve me and my family and my needs and desires and wishes. We want to be served rather than to serve is what it all comes down to. That's our natural tendency. Again, at the very heart of sin is selfishness. And when we are selfish, we want to be served rather than to serve. And then, and then this, this part of our distorted personality finally, finally comes to a conclusion whenever we begin to, when we, when we, when we fail to harness this instinct, we, we, tend to, we tend to push others down in order to push ourselves up. We tend to put down others so that we will be seen as someone who is highly esteemed. We tend, to, we tend to speak poorly of others. We tend to gossip and lie about others so that we will be lifted up. God help our souls. So what was the answer that Jesus gave to these disciples? Lord, I want to... We, we, we want to be second and third in command. When you become king, put us in charge. Put one of us in charge of, of half of your government and put the other in charge of the other half of the government. Now, one would think that Jesus would have said, you're out of your place. <laughs> you're selfish. Why would you raise such a question? Why, why would you 
Why would you even respond like that? Haven't you been with me now for a couple of years? Haven't you learned anything? But that wasn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He said in substance, Oh, oh, I see you want to be first. You, you want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. You, you ought to be important. You ought to be great. You ought to be significant. But, and, and if you're going to be my disciple, you, you must. But he reordered their priorities. Don't give up on this instinct. It's a, it's a good instinct if you use it right. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give up. Keep, keep striving to be first. Keep striving to be number one. But here's what you must strive to be first and to be number one in. You first, you must be the first servant. You must be the servant of all. If you are going to be great in my kingdom, you must serve rather than to seek to be served. Don't, don't give up trying to be number one. Don't give up trying to be great. Don't give up trying to be important. But here's what happens in the kingdom. Those who are important, those who are great, those who are number one, they are servants of all. They're servants of all. And, and again, and again, we may, we may think that if we are going to really, really be a servant, well, then we'll be forgotten about. We'll be forgotten about by everyone. We'll be forgotten about by our church. We'll be forgotten about by our families. We'll, be forgot we'll even be forgotten about by our God. But that's not what the author of Hebrews said. No, the author, author of Hebrews in our scripture today says that the Lord, the Lord is not unjust. God is not unjust to us overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. No, God knows. So when we are a servant in the life of the church, when we put others first, when we put ourselves on the back burner, when we love God first and we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we live by that, no doubt about it, the Lord God sees that. And I believe, I believe those are the things of faith as well. Those are the things of faith as well. So today we are we're concluding this series on what it means to be better together. What it means to be better together and the conclusion of this is we're we're I mean this is part of our uh, of of what we would call our finance campaign. You know, I, I know a number of pastors who uh, they they'll have finance campaigns and they'll call them everything except a finance campaign because they don't want to talk about money in the life of the church. Jesus spoke about money more than he spoke about prayer, more than he spoke about faith even. He spoke about money because he recognized that it is, it is with our money that we become the center of the universe. It is by using or, may I say, misusing our money where our selfishness most plays itself out. You see, when we spend all of our money on ourselves, when we spend all of our money on our big and fancy homes and our big and fancy cars and our fancy clothes and all the other fancy stuff 
that we have. You see, that is putting ourselves at the center of our universe. But the Lord says that we are not the center of the universe. The, he is the center of the universe. He's the center of our lives. And so the way that we use or misuse our money is deeply, deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. And so the ultimate way that we serve others, the ultimate way that we put others first, that we put God first in our lives, is the way in which we spend our money. It's the way in which we spend our money. You've heard me say this before. You want to know how much you love God? Open up that checkbook. Open up that pocketbook. Because the Lord says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so this morning, you are invited. Over the last couple of weeks, you have been invited to be thinking and praying about what God is laying on your heart for the coming year for you to give financially into the life of First Church. You may know, and certainly you have recognized, that this has been a trying year in the life of the church. This has been a difficult eight months, almost now nine months, in the life of the church. And I'll tell you, dear sisters and brothers, it's not over yet. I certainly, I certainly think that we're going to be in this until at least the end of spring and very likely to the end of the summer. This pandemic has deeply, deeply impacted the life of our church and the ministries of our church. We have already begun to reduce our staff simply because of, uh, of, of, of we, simply because of folks moving on or the priorities of our church have had to change because of this. Uh, we, have, we have different needs than we had eight or nine months ago. And so we have been, been able to, uh, to, to shrink some of our financial needs in the life of the church. But we must do all that we can. And we must be prepared for us to, when, when this pandemic is open, or when this pandemic is over and our, and our society opens back up, we must be ready to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be ready to do that. And let me tell you, we are already in those planning stages. When, this, when, our, when our culture opens back up, so, this, so now what? What are we going to do now? We have already begun to look at those ways that we are going to be expanding ministries next year. We've already looked at ways where we can become more efficient, more relevant in what we do, making sure that we are very, very clear on what we are to be about as a church in downtown Oklahoma City. So my hope and prayer is that you will join us in the coming year, in the coming year not only of your financial commitments, but in praying for our church, in being active in the life of our church, in serving in the life of the church. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord, we thank you so much that you came to not, not to be served, but to serve. And you have given us an example. You have given an example for all of your followers, ways in which we are to live, ways in which we are to serve our community, to serve you, to serve our church. Lord, help us to always remember that the purpose of the church is not to, to meet our own personal wishes and, and even needs. The purpose of the church is so that we can all find a place in which to serve, 
we can all find a place in which to spread the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, now as we make these commitments, as we complete these financial giving cards for the coming years, Lord, we pray that you would speak deeply to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would just simply put on our hearts the kind of commitment that you want from us in the coming year. Lord, we love this church so very much because we have found you here. We have found that we can make a difference together because we are so much better together. Come, speak to our hearts. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.